You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to another breakfast show. Uh, you are joined uh, by myself, Tukir Hamad, and a Scotsman. Here in the, in the studio of Voice of Islam, the one and only uh, Imam <laughs> Jalees Khan. Uh, I'm going to call you Scotsman from the now Scotsman, on. The, the Scotsman, that's it. I, I, I feel very proud to be, I think, the only Scotsman on this radio show. And then the whole of Voice of Islam. And, and, and the best thing is, he's on a Friday morning. So that's if it. you want to hear a Scotsman. Tune in to That's Friday it. mornings. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not discouraging our listeners to tune in to other days, but Friday. don't miss Friday. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So um, we we have a pack show for for us this morning. Um, uh, as as our uh, listeners will be interested to know that the first segment where we'll be looking at. The stages of finding God, uh, very, very, um, very important topic nowadays. Um, you know, quite often, uh, Jalees, whenever uh, I do get a chance to maybe go on this on the on the streets as well, uh, mm. just to spread the teachings of Islam or inviting mm. our locals to see the Western's largest mosque. Um, it's it's quite interesting to listen to people's thoughts as well, what they think of God. Um, Generally speaking, we know that people are moving more and more away from religion. Um, But it's interesting to note what are some of the way the reasons why why you know they they sort of maybe move away from mm-hmm. religion mm-hmm. um and and you know we'll be discussing that in more detail uh mm-hmm. we'll be listening to professor james Orr as well for this uh particular segment mm-hmm. uh we'll also be joined by dr jack uh seems he's going to be joining the discussion and uh, professor john uh milkbank he's going to be joining the discussion as well and uh uh, I'll be. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to Mr. Sherwin Nurse, who is a new convert to mm-hmm. uh, Ahmadiyat and works with the youth as well. So looking very forward to that. Yep. So thank you for that as well, Jalees, for securing that uh, uh, particular guest to come on and join us. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, lastly, we'll be looking at faith of civilians in Gaza. Uh, very important and pressing matter. And uh, for this particular segment, we'll be listening to my Abu Talib, who is a Palestinian. Uh, he's currently living in Canada. He's a uh, pharmacist. So we're listening, we'll be listening to him. So a very packed show uh, for our listeners this morning. Um, but do do remember, if you do want to join the discussion, if you do have any suggestions, any anything you want to add, uh, you can feel free to call us on 0208-687-7878 or tweet to us at uh, at our Twitter handle at uh, Voice of Islam uh, UK and uh, we'll, we'll be we'll be uh, we'll definitely give you some airtime there. Um, it's amazing listening to uh, the recitation of the Holy Quran yep. uh, in the morning. Um, and it's it's absolutely it's so soothing, and uh, you know when we compare different scriptures, yeah. you know Allah Allah the Almighty He makes a huge promise regarding the the holy book the holy mm-hmm. Quran and He says in the holy Quran in uh, in Surah Hijr uh, chapter 
chapter 10 uh, verse verse number 10 um, and he says that inna nahnu nazalna zikra wa inna lahu lafizun that he is the one who has sent down this holy scripture this zikr and he himself will be its guardian and this itself is a testimony that Allah the Almighty he's made the scripture in such a way as well that you know it's when you listen to it it's very soothing and, mm. and also the memorization of it is such that it can be easily memorized and if you compare that to any other scripture let's say the Bible or if we're looking at the Veda this itself yeah. you know you can see Allah the Almighty has made the means for it as well that he would protect it in all sorts of manner yeah. and that is why you know it is you know the Amdi Muslim community says that not even a single jot of the Holy Quran has been changed and yeah. it is the same as it was revealed to the Holy Prophet peace be upon him 1500 yeah. years ago absolutely you know it's very interesting that you're mentioning this um, you're probably aware one of our uh, missionary colleagues um, Usman but respected Usman but um, he went to the streets to um, the streets of London yeah and he um, he uh, he had a portion of the Holy Quran uh, playing a recording yeah and he uh, showed this to um, some some uh, um, some people, um, some individuals in the street um, who had, uh, as in, no connection with, this, uh, w- w- with Islam. They weren't Muslims. They were probably atheists, maybe even Christians. And uh, they said the same thing you said right now. When they listened to it the first time ever, they said that they, it, it was soothing. And some of them even said that they, it connected to them on a spiritual basis. Mm. So this mm. is this is the word of the Quran. This is the word of God Almighty, as mm. you say. This is, this, is, this is beautiful and it connects with you on a spiritual level, on a deeper level. And on a level that maybe some individuals, not maybe not even us, we we can't really explain and kind of expound upon, but it just connects to uh, connects to us and in, in our in our deeper being on a spiritual level. Absolutely, absolutely. No, the the, the I, I thought I mentioned that listen, just yeah. coming to the studio, listening to yep. the uh, recitation. It it definitely has a profound um, uh, effect. And I'm sure listeners do enjoy listening to that in the morning as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, though this particular segment, um, as as our listeners know as well, we go through some of the main news which is happening around the world and also with regards to the community. Um, so now uh, we're just going to be looking at the weather and uh, we'll be looking at some of the current news around the world as well. So Jalees, if you can uh, walk us through the weather, please. Yeah, of course. Um, so today will be, uh, be quite windy and fairly cloudy with showers or spells of rain at times, uh, most frequent in the north and turning wintry in the far north, uh, drier in the south with bright spells in the afternoon. Tonight, rain will spread across Scotland and northern England with snow on the northern Scottish hills, mainly dry and widely, uh, sorry, mainly dry and windy elsewhere, with variable cloud and few spots of light rain in places. Um, as for Saturday, so tomorrow, it will be continue to be windy, wet in the north, with rain falling, as snow on its leading edge for some of the northern Scotland, and uh, southern areas of the UK will be drier with some brightness. And just towards Sunday and up until Tuesday as well, Christmas Eve will be windy and partly cloudy with showers or spells of rain, sunny spells more likely in eastern areas. Christmas Day will see outbreaks of rain for many, wintry on the hills in the far north and drier and brighter in the east. A settled day on Boxing Day in the south with sunny spells but cloudier with some rain in the north 
and it will be turning cooler with easing winds. Great, thank you for that. Um, so I think I'll, I'll uh, start the discussion off, um, and uh, this is with regards to the MDM Muslim community as well. And, and I think one um, particular uh, particular highlight within this month as well is the annual convention which takes place in uh, in Qadian in uh, in India. Yeah. And essentially, Qadian is that place where, which is the birthplace of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, Azamuzawulamah, peace be upon him, the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community. And it's it's interesting that uh, the annual convention, Jalsa Salana, and it is a a main event even within the calendar here in the UK. Um, as such, it was it had actually initiated its roots start from Qadian as well and we know that the first annual convention actually took place in 1891 and uh, the promised Messiah peace be upon him he had announced that the newly initiated uh, Jalsa would continue annually every 27th of December and accordingly in uh, 1892 the members of the community they would travel to Qadian for the Jalsa Salana and they would partake in the promised messiah's uh, blessed company and actually the annual convention of uh, which took place in 1892 it became known at that time as the big jalsa and among those gath- gathering um, among those attending and uh, and this basically paints how this jalsa was held next to the pond in gadian and the stage was built at that time from mud collection from in and around the pond and the promised messiah was sat upon uh, the raised platform on which the carpet had been laid and uh, the community members were seated around him on the floor so so the this was uh, those humble beginnings and uh, now we see that by the grace of allah the almighty uh, how this event itself is now an international event and at that time where you know the promised Messiah peace be upon him as is mentioned here that he would uh, stand on a a small built stage which was uh, made from mud collection we see that it is such a huge gathering uh, which exceeds thousands you know from from not just from India so across the globe Um, and this annual convention is very interesting in the sense that His Holiness Azul Mazza Masoor Ahmed he always concludes uh, with his final address as well to the audience uh, who are attending the this event in India but also this uh, address is there for the whole world to to witness as well so that that is one thing in particular uh, so that will be taking place uh, next week uh, from Friday Saturday Sunday uh, so do stay tuned in for that. Yes, definitely. Um, just sticking uh, with the, the the news from our community. Um, uh, I don't know if you're aware about that today, but but uh, but today. Um, so we have different um, uh, regions, as, as as you're probably aware in our community. So today, South Region, they have the opportunity to go and offer um, Juma prayers, so Friday prayers, uh, behind uh, His Holiness. So um, so by the grace of Allah, I have the opportunity to take. A few um, of our uh, young, uh, young uh, Muslims, young MDs, young members of our community, to uh, to Muslim Mubarak, so Tilford, 
um, and uh, offer namaz, uh, offer prayers behind Hazur, uh, His Holiness. Um, and it's an amazing opportunity, obviously, to have have this have this opportunity. And um, a really good initiative that we're trying to take is that um, the, our young members of our community they'll be able to sit very close to um, His Holiness, close mm. cl- close to the front. Um, and yeah, this is this is this is an amazing opportunity for them. Yeah. You know, I I remember reading in in the books of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him as well, but also the second caliph, um, particularly highlighting the truthfulness of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. And he said that, look, I can give you so many arguments in the truthfulness of uh, in support of the Amdiya Muslim community as well. But he particularly he, he himself highlighted that he urged the members of the community, but also those who are not members of the community to come and spend yeah. time with him in Qadiyan yeah. and to 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 witness the blessings of Allah the Almighty yeah. and his favors upon the promised Messiah peace be upon him as well. So in particular is very important not only for the members of the community but also also uh, uh, you know people in in uh, from all walks of life that yeah. you know they should come and they should spend that time for with the caliph as well because yeah. ultimately he is that vicegerent yeah. on the earth who is uh, who is the closest to Allah the almighty yeah. um and uh, to to attain that level of Allah the almighty is yeah. incumbent yeah. upon the believers as well that they 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 should spend yeah. uh, that time with yeah. the with the with the with the caliph himself absolutely yeah just 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 uh, bouncing off of you there um we have uh, uh, as you said right now those who are not even part part of the community they they should go and visit um our beloved uh, his his holiness as well and i think in the in the, in the last week we had right honorable uh, ed davy and mm. also visiting his holiness as well of course so um this is yeah and and, and, and that was a beautiful encounter as well and i i, I believe that um um right honorable ed davy has met um uh, well, has 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 the opportunity of met uh, of meeting his holiness quite a few times as well, uh, benefiting from his um, his um, his ambiance and his presence. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, do, do uh, if uh, any of us listeners have anything to say as well, uh, remember you can call us on 0286877878. Yes, Jalees. Any any other news uh, you you want to share yeah. with our listeners? I, I stumbled upon this piece of news uh, right now. Um, I, I woke up and I read this, and as as, as you know, Christmas is coming. Um, and I read that there was a study done a few years ago, uh, which said that the average Brit. Uh, okay, okay. So it's a question for you, maybe a question for the listeners as well. Um, how many calories do you think an average Brit consumes on Christmas Day? So keep in mind, you have turkey, you have uh, a lot of stuffing, you've got you've got a lot of food going on. A lot, a lot going on on Christmas Day. Okay, so a normal kitka, if I was to have like just a normal kitka, that's yeah. about 100 calories. Give or take. So on Christmas Day, I would probably say uh, an average would be about 1,500 calories. That's my average. Th- th- that's your average or is that the average? <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing that might be the average. Um, okay, uh, for, 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 for the benefit of the listeners as well, uh, I, th- I think the average um, human male uh, should consume roughly around about 2,500 calories okay, wait, I'm way off <laughs> yeah so you're, you're, you're way off you're very healthy you're very healthy um, um, but um, okay it's 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 6,000 calories wow 6,000 wow. calories wow. on Christmas day alone and uh, yeah you have a lot of uh, chocolate turkey 
um, cheese. So you have you have a lot of stuff going on at Christmas. Mm. It's a six thousand calories mm. an average Brit consumes. That's that's crazy. You consume one thousand five hundred calories. <laughs> I think that's why you're so fit. <laughs> Suppo- supposedly, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, uh, dear listeners, that's that's uh, all we have time for in terms of our news. Uh, we're just going to be taking a short break, and uh, we'll be coming at, uh, back into our first segment. Um, and we're li- looking at this particular tegment, segment at the stages of finding God. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back shortly after this break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Selections from the writings of the Promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. The unity of God is a light which illumines the heart only after the negation of all deities, whether they belong to the inner world or the outer world. It permeates every particle of man's being. How can this be acquired without the aid of God and his messenger? The duty of man is only to bring death upon his ego and turn his back to devilish pride. He should not boast of his having been reared in the cradle of knowledge, but should consider himself as if he were merely an ignorant person and occupy himself in supplications. Then the light of unity will descend upon him from God and will bestow new life upon him. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Asalaamu Alaikum. Welcome back uh, to the Breakfast Show. Uh, we're looking at our first segment, the stages of finding God. So, in the contemporary era, encounters with atheists challenging the existence of God are common and engaging in a dialogue with the septic uh, I acknowledged the impossibility of conclusively proving God's existence and reflecting on the words of the promised Messiah the discussion dwells into the rationality and the absence of concrete evidence in affirming or denying God's presence now Essentially, this is a very important topic and, uh, you know, when we are discussing uh, the existence of God, quite often, you know, people say that, well, if there is a God, then why why can we not see him? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, th- th- it's a very interesting uh, question because the thing is, in, in the world right now, there are so many things, so there's so many elements that uh, we cannot see but we know that they are exist and their 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 existence is very powerful like for example if we look at the uh, magnet magnet for example mm-hmm. the pull of a magnet mm-hmm. um it's very strong and although 
you know, we can't see it. We know no one can deny in this world that it doesn't exist. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for example, the the emotion of love, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, to like, for example, the love a, you know, someone has for their mother, mm-hmm. like a son has for their mother or a you know daughter has for their mother. Mm-hmm. <coughs> we We can't say that oh show me show me it that we want to see it with our eyes so yeah. the thing is we're asking the wrong question here yeah. that you know yeah. they, they, you you want to see god but the the question itself is wrong so y- the, the you know the, the in this uh, particular scenario when when it comes to the existence of god as well i always uh, like listening to a an example that once a a bedouin he explains the uh, existence of god and he said that um that look if uh, if i wanted to locate a um camel or a big herd i i would go on a tre- on a tread uh, in the forest or in an open field and if i look at the droppings of a, of a of a, of those goats or those herds mm-hmm. i can immediately say that you know a big herd crossed here yeah. so he said that when we look at life when we see these beautiful traces how allah the almighty has made these animals that beauty you know yeah. how can you deny yeah. the existence of god because it all points towards the existence of god mm-hmm. yeah no absolutely i think this is something similar to what um uh, the great philosopher uh, william paley said and he presented uh, the the argument that um if you stumble upon a watch um a stopwatch or um or um a, a clock or a watch of, of 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 any kind and you see the intricate uh, the intricate dials and the intricate gears and the springs the way they have been put together the the, the, the way they have been assembled there must have been a creator. It must have been a watchmaker to make this watch. And then if you kind of zoom out a little bit and look at the world, maybe not zoom out a little bit, but zoom out quite a lot and just look at the world, the entire universe itself, and how intricate and how, how detailed the, the universe is in its creation, in its, in its design, um, it, it, it all points towards a creator. It all, uh, all points towards a singular... Um, yeah, it's a singular being, a singular entity that created all of this beautiful, um, all all these beautiful scenes and uh, all, all this beautiful universe that is in, uh, in front of us right now. Absolutely, and and you know the the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, he explains that absolute certainty it requires spiritual experience yeah. gained through following prophets, and no amount of empirical data alone results in full conviction about mm. God just as the pagan Arabs they were transformed by witnessing signed manifest manifesting God's powers so too must belief originate from personal exploration mm-hmm. therefore um, empirism and the scientific method that have some parallels in Islam are seen as initial tools but they cannot achieve the total certainty attained when experimental spiritual means supplement intellectual reflex and islam it provides its own verification of prophet claims through the fulfilled prophecies and and scientific facts like the big bang theory explained centuries later in modern terms lend support to the holy quran's authority and the holy Mm. quran it continued uh, relevance uh, makes vivid prophecies historically uh, pre reproducible uh, and 
Moreover, many specific prophecies were made by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, regarding the future events. And his history records details like his victorious returns to Mecca exactly happening Hmm. and such verification through consistent across time demonstrate to believers the truth of revelations called the inconsistence by by atheist and this is very interesting that when we look at the life of any prophet essentially they are the means of essentially building that bridge between man and god they they paved the way for man to attain that relationship with God. We see Islam, for example, we say that Islam is a living religion. Yeah. And as Muslims, we are told to pray five times a day. In the morning, uh, during the day, you know, throughout the whole day, you know, mm-hmm. Muslims have been told to pray five times a day. But not only that, any task we we start in our time, we are told to invoke the blessings of God. Yeah. So essentially, every step that we take, we're constantly remembering yeah. God. And this yeah. is what Islam teaches, that every aspect in your life, mm-hmm. constantly remember God Almighty. And we see yeah. that through the life of the Prophet himself, that yeah. he, no matter if it was hardship, if it was ease, he always turned to God Almighty. And 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 through the harshes of times, yeah. God Almighty, he saved the Prophet yeah. himself. And not only... Mm-hmm. Save the Prophet as it as it mentions in the Holy Quran that Wallahu Ya Simukamin and Nas that yeah. Allah the Almighty would save him yeah. from people and that that itself is a huge prophecy. Yeah. Uh, we know that you know the Prophet himself was persecuted in Mecca for yeah. thirteen years. Yeah. So much so that uh, the Muslims themselves had to migrate to Medina. Yeah. But it's interesting to note that the the Meccans they, they wanted to annihilate mm-hmm. uh, Islam. They wanted to completely wipe out Islam, but it, it was at that time that uh, Allah the Almighty had prophesied this, that he would save the Prophet from uh, these people and their, and their, um, and what they were doing. And that's, that's what we see in the life of yeah. Prophet, that Allah the Almighty had saved him in every step. So this is a, it's a lesson for the believers as well, that we, we must always put our trust in Allah the Almighty as well. Yeah. And, and continuously pray towards him because he is that God who listens yeah, and absolutely. not only listens but he also answers yeah. and this is what the Holy Quran explains that that the Holy Quran clearly says that call towards me and he will answer the prayers and this itself it, you know this is itself is one of the biggest yeah. uh, ways to explain God that ideally you can't see him yeah. but Allah the Almighty he sees the hearts and those righteous people that call towards him he will answer their prayers. Yeah, that is beautifully put. Uh, beautiful, absolutely. That's, that's exactly what it is. I feel that um, maybe um, even in the West or possibly in generally as well, we have certain devices that we we look towards, we look upon, and we 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 kind of um, have like a proxy god, um, or, or or some people have these proxy gods even in um, in 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 atheism. Uh, we we see that, or in general, with people who have no religion and they don't want to point out if they're atheists or not, maybe agnostic. And we see that, for example, that right now this is, is Christmas time and um, we see children, they're writing letters to 
Santa Claus and 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 asking them, "Okay, Santa, I want this, 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 this." They're requesting. They're they're asking. They're they're asking Santa, "Can can I have this?" And this then this this more or less is is a fictional entity, and they're and they're writing letters, and they have such such belief. Okay, at the end of the day, we're going to get it. We're we're going to get what we're asking for. Um, if 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 you look towards Easter as well, um, we we have the Easter Bunny. This kind of this picture that we're creating with fictional characters. That the these are the these are these are the individuals, more or less idols, that will be providing you with the things that you're seeking and the things that you're asking. If you move on to the Tooth Fairy as well, the Tooth Fairy, we 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 have this thing where um you if if you lose a tooth, you put the tooth under your bed, you get money. You're asking the Tooth Fairy for money, in, essentially. So we have all these kind of um, proxy idols or idols in general where we're ask, asking. But then Islam, Islam says, like, why are you? Well, why are you asking these these idols when you when you can go to the creator of, of 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 all the universes? You can go to God Almighty, and as you said, if you ask God, God God Almighty is near. God God Almighty will answer these questions, and He will answer your prayers. There, there, there's no way that, there's no way that He wouldn't. So we, I, uh, yeah, as as you put beautifully, that we 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 have this trust in 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 God Almighty that He will provide for us. Absolutely. And you know, Islam teaches that uh, human intellect and senses alone, they can't, they cannot encompass or fully comprehend God. Mm-hmm. And as the article quotes from a Persian com- couplet and the translation of that, uh, that is that whoever wants to find God through mere intellect is certainly mad mm-hmm. because the hidden ways of his access are beyond the reach of mere intellect. So this means that an atheist he demands for definitive empirical proof mm. fail to grasp that god transcends physical phenomena and islam recognizes rational and scientific knowledge have limits in unlocking uh, metaphysical truths and f- spiritual means are required to attain certainty about the divine that is such a beautiful yeah. um, elaboration yeah. or definition on how to attain Allah the Almighty because this explains just as the Holy Quran mentions that this book itself is Hudalil Mutakin mm-hmm. that this is a guidance for for those who fear God essentially mm-hmm. and Allah the Almighty he lays down the principle he doesn't say that this is a book for those who are intellect mm. you know if you have intellect maybe or if you are superior yeah. you can attain uh, the, the the blessings but he says that those who fear God this is yeah. what Allah the Almighty highlights in the Holy Quran that in the Akramakullahi Atkakum that those individuals who are the most closest to Allah the Almighty or who are the most righteous they will attain his closeness. Yeah. He doesn't explain that, you know, you have to be intellectual. He yeah. says that, remember him in your hearts or be God-fearing, yeah. then you will attain his pleasure. Yeah. So I think we'll, we'll, uh, Imam Jalis will be discussing more, yeah. elaborating more in this um, Islamic perspective on the concept of God. But we do have with us our, our first guest on the line. Uh, we are joined by Professor James Orr. And uh, Dr. O is an associate professor of philosophy of religion at the Faculty of Divinity and a position he took after four years as a McDonnell postdoctoral fellow in theology, ethics and public life at Christian Church, Oxford. 
Good morning to you and uh, thank you for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, wonderful listening to you this morning and it's a very important discussion that we are discussing here. I wanted to ask you firstly that what are some of the means in which people can seek God and in your view, is this important to do so? Uh, well, uh, yes, of course it's important to do so. I think uh, one of the most um, irreducibly concrete facts about human beings is that we have always sought the religious. We have always been driven by the religious instinct. One of the great ironies of the secular humanist movement, it seems to me, is that in elevating the human, it denies also what is most distinctive about the human, namely that we are, in the Latin phrase, homo religiosus, uh, really from the ancient um, paintings and in, in the caves of Lascaux in France and Chauvet, we see that that is what human beings are. We're driven by it. So not only is it important, it is absolutely essential. And we deny that religious impulse at our peril. And I think what happens so often in modernity is that that religious impulse is suppressed, but then uh, uh, springs up in other ways into a kind of um, idolatrous impulse of worshipping the cre creation rather than the, the, the creator. Um, I mean, obviously, the search for God, <clears throat> when it's properly channeled, um, can express itself in all sorts of different ways, uh, through holy scriptures, um, within the Islamic tradition, of course, the Quran and the Hadith, and the New Testament within the Christian tradition, and so on and so forth. But it can also, uh, within the Abrahamic religions, of course, uh, they are creationist traditions, and so it's perfectly um, consistent and, and theologically correct for people to search and see God within nature, and also for people to search and see God within um, those within the fruits of civilization. That is to say, uh, within the uh, achievements of human beings who see themselves, as it were, as as it were co-creators, sub-creators, sub but um, delegated by God to uh, express their God-given reason, their God-given freedom, and their God-given sense of, um, of what is beautiful and what is true. No, thank you for that. Uh, very, very beautifully put. Um, slightly different question. Do you think is it important in your view to separate church from state? And how can we achieve freedom, equality, justice, and peace within the society? <clears throat> well, those are very good and deep questions, and I wish we had longer than we probably have. But let's just taking the first one. I mean, clearly, the distinction between church and state, um, there's a secular sense to that, and then there's a theological sense to that. The secular sense, I think, is unhelpful. The idea is that there's some neutral space, some neutral public square, where God does not belong. Now, I think that is a very, very difficult, uh, indeed impossible, I think philosophically and theologically impossible position for a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew to accept. Um, the distinction really emerges from the Western Christian theologian Augustine, who makes a distinction not between a kind of God-free public square and then a God-saturated private realm, but makes the sensible point that earthly powers... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, sh as it were, should invest themselves with authority 
over the temporal as opposed to the eternal, and the church should busy itself with salvation, the salvation of souls. And that seemed to me a, a very sensible um, distinction. It's one that gives birth to the secular, that is to say, a space in which the state can operate without relying or appealing to theological justifications. But I think it is a deep tension within Christianity. It seems to me, uh, I'm not a, an Islamic scholar, but it seems to me that Islam has always refused that distinction. That is to say, Islam, it seems to me, can't, doesn't accept that there is some uh, secular, temporal, earthly power that is, as it were, procedurally distinct from divine authority. Now, I think that also brings with it all sorts of problems and tensions uh, in the modern world, uh, particularly as it under, uh, Islam tries to understand itself in, in political terms. Um, uh, so I think there are advantages and disadvantages to it, um, both to the Christian, both to Christian political theology and Islamic political theology. But I, I wish we could have longer to sort of dive into that. On your second question, if I may, um, how do we achieve freedom, uh, freedom, equality? And what was the third um goal you mentioned uh anyway well let's peace, just, freedom and peace. freedom equality and peace well i mean let let we'll, i mean i think in a way we can't my sense is uh, both within the islamic tradition and in the christian tradition we it, we don't bring about equality that's a quite a secular way of thinking about it it seems to me we we are equal that is to say uh, human beings are made in the image of god they are creatures, and so from pauper, there is no <clears throat> moral difference in terms of value between pauper and prince. Uh, we're all equal in the sides of God, and in the eyes of God. We're all sinners in the eyes of God. We're all equally offered the chance of drawing close to God, becoming like God, having uh, securing salvation, and that is a great gift that the Abrahamic religions, I think, bring to um, <clears throat> the history of um, reflection about. Uh, human beings and 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 human nature now that gets secularized into a quest for achieving strict socio-economic equality and that seems to be a much more dangerous project because um it is as well as it being true that human beings are morally equal it is just as true that human beings are come into the world with different gifts and different capacities and at different points in history, those gifts and capacities will bring about benefits, individual benefits to them and to their societies that are not going to be equal. They're just not going to be level. Now, that doesn't mean that the banker who's earning a million pounds is somehow uh, is somehow a more valuable person uh, or, or is somehow more invested with the dignity of, of God than um, the dignity of the divine than, than, than somebody who's... who's um, uh, you know, working in, uh, as a librarian in in, uh, uh, in the local library. Hmm. But that, I think there's a sort of secular impulse to try to rival the Abrahamic monotheistic religion's elevation of human equality. But of course, they don't have the theological resources to express how, what equality, how, how to cash out what equality is. And so they express them, they, they try and say we must achieve equality in terms of economics and in terms of access to social goods and so on and so forth. And that seems to me to take us towards um, basically a kind of uh, the sort of communist utopias that the Soviet Union and Mao's China try to achieve with such catastrophic effect in the 20th century. Okay. No, thank, thank you for that. Um, uh, my my uh, 
co-host uh, Imam Jalis also has uh, some questions he wanted to ask you on this. Uh, good morning, Professor Orr. Uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really appreciate listening to you. Um, so my question is, what is the notion of covenants with God? And is God um, just to all people, in your view? Mm, um, well, that second question, good morning. Um, the second question is, is an easy one. Um, God is justice itself. There is mm. um, no distinction between justice and God. Uh, that is, it seems to me, um, a absolutely intrinsic to the way to the classical theistic conception of God within both yeah. Islam and in Christianity. Uh, so, in a way, that's like saying, you know, it, yes, it is, it is metaphysically necessary that mm-hmm. God is just to all people, not just just, but perfectly just, the source of all justice. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it may not be apparent to us yeah. that. Um, that, that, that a person is um, living a life that, in, in which he's sort of at that present moment uh, gi- being given his just rewards. But yes, God's uh, justice is perfect and his judgment is perfect within the classical traditions. It's sort of, uh, you, you, there, there, there is, uh, it is not conceivable for God to act less than perfectly justly. Um, your other question about covenants. Um, I think it's very helpful to think about covenants because so often in the modern world we are burdened with the language of contract hmm. and that really is the the sort of kind of secular liberal way of understanding human relations consent hmm. contract we negotiate our way through the world as indiv- as autonomous self-legislating individuals hmm. and i seems seems to me that the contractarian model that we get from thomas hobbes and john locke and others hmm. Has been a catastrophe. Has been a disaster, hmm. and I think the model that the great religions hold up, particularly the Abrahamic faiths, hold up of of the covenant, is is a much more promising one. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is in fact a promise. A covenant is a promise. So you have a, a vertical: the covenants made by God to to Abraham and and Noah and others. Uh, what's the difference? Well, I'd say a, a covenant is a promise. The mm. terms are fixed. You can either accept it or you can reject it. Uh, a little bit like uh, how marriage is understood in the Christian tradition. You, mm. it, it's a public arrangement that you can step into freely. I mean, one does give consent to it, but once you've given your consent, then you're, you're, you're as it were, you're, you're in it. And uh, you don't get to sort of vary it or negotiate with God. Um, the, the 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 shape of it is 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 given and fixed, and that seems to be a more um, a, a more attractive way of thinking about um, how human beings in fact um, get along with one another. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you so much for shedding light upon that. Thank you so much. Um, so my, my my last question to you would be um, as. A, as 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 you know, the, the the topic of this segment is achieving or the steps of achieving God. Um, mm. In 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 your point of view or in your opinion, what would be the most um, concrete argument you would uh, present to an atheist? Oh, I see. Um, you, what what would the best sort of theistic argument in in, in natural theology? Yes. Well, since I'm on the Voice of Islam um, radio, I think I would have to say the Kalam cosmological argument. Um, I think it's a very effective argument. Premise mm-hmm. one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Mm-hmm. Premise two, the universe began to exist. That's a very strongly scientifically supported proposition from Stephen Hawking and Roger Penrose in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Conclusion, the universe began uh, to exist. What could have 
caused it to exist? Well, it couldn't have been something within the universe. It couldn't have been something spatial, temporal. Mm-hmm. What are the candidates metaphysically for something that could bring something into being outside space and time? Mm-hmm. Either abstract objects, numbers, but numbers don't cause things, or persons, you and I, as it were, are, are plausibly immaterial beings who have a causal impact on the world. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of a person with um, uh, supreme rationality and power uh, bringing uh, the beginning of the universe, the beginning of the spatio-temporal contem- continuum into being is the best, uh, the, is, is the most uh, um, plausible way of, of understanding that initial causal Big Bang impulse, yeah. and therefore God exists. Thank you so much uh, for your time, Professor Ora. I think we really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. We are now joined uh, by our next guest. Uh, we are joined by Dr. Jack Sims, and he is a uh, public philosopher, writer, and researcher at uh, Durham University. Uh, good morning to you, and uh, thank you for joining us at the Voice of Islam radio station. Good morning. It's great to be on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Very important uh, discussion we are having. And I wanted to ask you for the benefit of our listeners, could you explain Darwin's theory of uh, natural selection? And does this theory reject the existence of God? Well, in the 19th century, Charles Darwin discovered that variations within an organism's genetic code can increase its chances of survival. And therefore the likelihood of it reproducing. Now, given enough time, this process removes ill-adapted life forms, organisms less adapted to their environments and less likely to pass on their genes, while preserving organisms whose variations are better suited to their environments and therefore are more likely to pass on their genes. That's the central, simple insight of evolution by natural selection. The fittest, that is the best suited gene survive, and eventually we get organisms that are well adapted to their environments. Now, the theory itself is neutral on the question of God's existence. To put it simply, it's not intended to offer a grand metaphysical theory of the universe and its origins. It's a scientific theory about the origin of complex organisms. But with that said, with the introduction of some simple additional premises, the theory can be developed to cast doubt on the truth of religious propositions. For example, imagine that somebody claims that God is necessary in explaining how complex creatures come about within the natural world. In other words, say you have a natural world that God created, and want to argue that God still has a role to play in the world's development. Now, this is something like the view William Paley defended in his book Mm -hmm. Natural Theology back in 1802. God must, said Paley, (laughs) have designed the world's individual creatures. I think that's an unreasonable view to hold. Any sensible Abrahamic believer will tell you that the world's creatures weren't created by God over six days. Mm-hmm. It's closer to billions of years. Yeah. It's within that huge time frame that evolution ran its course. Now, that might interest some listeners, but 
Note that the argument doesn't tell us anything about the existence of God. Mm -hmm. The argument simply tells us that some people need to brush up on their history of the world. Mm -hmm. But with that said, there are other reasons why you might think that evolution by natural selection undermines belief in God. And the example I'll end with here is from the philosopher Eugene Nagasawa, who's recently argued that evolution by natural selection gives rise to a new and more dangerous version of the problem of evil, what he calls the systemic problem of evil. Hmm. The systemic evil consists of the pain and suffering that's caused by natural selection. Mm -hmm. uh, the question is, why God, if she is maximally powerful, knowledgeable, and perfectly good, would force creatures to fight and kill one another for the world's limited resources over billions of years? Remember, our lives are only possible because of the pain and suffering of the countless sentient creatures mm -hmm. that came before us. And so I think that's a, a compelling evolutionary objection mm -hmm. to God's power, knowledge, or goodness. Well, that, that, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Dr. Jack. That's, uh, that's a very comprehensive answer. Thank you so much. Um, so, so my question is um, that... Uh, can our consciousness be elevated or hindered, so our moral consciousness, be elevated or hindered by religion? Both, I think. Religion can hinder and religion can elevate. Like I'll, I'll say something on, on both for yep. answering your question more directly. It's important to recognize that religion is a force for a lot of good. There are many people who claim their lives are deeply enriched by religious belief. Mm -hmm when they're suffering, when they're lonely, when nothing else can seem to help them. Belief that someone is watching over them and that things will work out in the end, it may be their only light in the darkness. Yet, at the same time, for large periods of their histories, groups of Abrahamic believers have been the enemy of women's rights, LGBTQIA plus rights, and in some cases, scientific progress. We might hope that our modern believer would think differently, yet many continue to perpetuate the suffering and inequality through what they believe to be God's will. And take the example of animal rights. For each trip around the sun, we satisfy our collective taste buds with over 70 billion land animals and 7 trillion sea creatures. That's yeah. a, an astronomical amount of suffering. Yeah. And unlike the Eastern traditions, Western religions, Western religions have a, a long and shameful history of trying to intellectually undermine the suffering of these creatures. Mm -hmm. So I think that Abrahamic believers need to start thinking about that question in good faith. But to return to your question, I think it's too messy to say whether religion elevates or hinders in this way. There's too many factors involved. Yeah. After all, one might think our treatment of non-human animals has been perpetuated rather than caused by religion. Mm -hmm. And so in truth, I think these kind of speculations about how much good and evil religion is responsible for are beyond our ability to make with any real confidence. And that might be a pretty uninteresting thing to say, so let me end on this. On the one hand, the idea of God in its purest aspect as nothing more than an explanatory hypothesis mm -hmm. has the potential to elevate our understanding of the world considerably. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, an unconditional commitment to the ideas found in some scriptures and some religious institutions can considerably hinder our thinking and bring about a considerably bleak state of affairs. Well, 
Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, great. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Jack Sims. I think we can squeeze one more question in uh, before the eight o'clock news. Um, I want to ask you: Can God be explained through scientific means? Well, I suppose it depends on the sense in which you're using the word "explained." But if you mean "explained away," as in, do we need to posit a God if physical science can explain the existence and values we find in the world? Then, no, God can't be explained through physical science. I mean, that shouldn't surprise us, right? There are lots mm-hmm. of entities that physical science can't explain. Yeah. Take some examples. Mm. Physical science can't explain ethical truths, such as whether euthanasia is right or wrong, Hmm. logical, mathematical truths that are presumed by science, such as the truth of the law of non-contradiction, or some metaphysical truths, such as the nature and origin of consciousness. In fact, the very question of whether something might be inaccessible to science can't be answered by science. That's a question for philosophy. The question Hmm. of what goes beyond the limits of science goes beyond the limits of science. I think failure to recognize that's a failure to understand the framework in which contemporary science currently operates within. Now, there are many atheist philosophers of religion who'd like to think they can explain God away by recognizing the origins of religious belief. However, when they do so, they usually commit what we call the genetic fallacy. That is, they aim to reject the God hypothesis by explaining why somebody believes it to be true. You hear this a lot when people say things like, you only believe in God because your parents told you to. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, so what? They also told me to look before I cross the road, but telling me how (laughs) I formed my belief, it doesn't bear any impact on whether the God hypothesis is true or false. If anything, I think contemporary philosophers of religion are on something when they say that the findings of modern science constitute strong evidence for the truth of the God hypothesis. These days, cosmologists tend to think that the universe had a beginning and so we need an explanation of the universe's origin and similarly consider the argument from fine-tuning modern science tells us that there are 30 or so fundamental numbers constant laws of nature such as the force of gravity and the strong nuclear force that are so exquisitely balanced that the tiniest and i mean the tiniest fluctuation would mean that life couldn't exist in our universe and probability theory dictates that this was no mere accident Mm. Something caused the universe to be this way. Mm. So, no, beautifully, Paul. I think uh, you've answered it very beautifully, um, Doctor Symes. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and uh, sharing your expertise on this subject. Thank you very much. It's been good to be here. Have a good day. Thank you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. So we were just listening to Doctor Jack Symes, who is a public philosopher writer and researcher at uh, Durham University he explained that quite beautifully actually that uh, you know if we look at the universe for example it's so intricate that uh, even if um, you know if 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 the earth itself if it was aligned slightly yeah just slightly different from away from the sun or towards uh, f- further away from the sun then would we truly have life as yeah. we have have it on, on Earth, so Allah the Almighty has designed it perfectly yeah. ideal for how it is in the world. And let's take an, another example, um, and uh, this is an example that the fourth Caliph gave, Azam Zatahir Ahmed. May Allah the Almighty have mercy on him, and he explains the existence of God. He says that let's look at the animal kingdom, the woodpecker, for example. The woodpecker it strikes the the tree so hard. 
that uh, if there was no uh, cushioning system you know the brain itself would go kahoot like yeah. th- there is no way for 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 the woodpecker to hit so hard and uh, the the brain for it to be intact as it is and yeah. we see there is that cushioning system which has been put in place but let's say for example you apply the rule of through evolution through time that you know the allah the almighty made that con- mm. uh, cushioning system that's not the case um but he designed it in such a way um that it it was there and if we take the example of uh, what darwin says then how many of those woodpeckers would have been killed until yeah. that ultimate yeah. selection you know for yeah. it to be there but god made such a design that it, it is perfect and and you cannot say no to it so we'll continue this discussion um after this news you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed ausbillah min ash-shaitan ar-rajim bismillah ar-rahman ar-rahim in the name of allah the gracious the merciful assalamu alaykum peace be upon you and welcome back to the breakfast show you're listening to myself tukir and brother jalis here in the voice of islam and uh, we are discussing uh, the the topic of existence of god and uh, it is a very important discussion and i think i i, I should uh, just elaborate more on the point i was saying so the the fourth caliph azam zatar ahmed may allah have mercy on him explaining the existence of god he gives the example of the woodpecker that the woodpecker it, it one of the one thing that it does is that when it strikes so hard that uh, we see that there is a cushioning system which has been put in place and we find that th- this system uh, which which the woodpecker has in his beak you would not find it uh in any other bird so the the theory one theory of darwin is that uh ultimately to get the best selection you, you know animals had to go through various phases for example let's say there in the example of the polar bear uh, how it hunts the size of the polar bear the color of the polar bear according to darwin's theory uh, you know there would have been polar bears which would have been pink color green color different colors and ultimately until it got to its ultimate selection but uh, we don't believe evolution to that extent o- evolution does exist mm. it's it's clear that evolution exists but we we don't believe it to the extent that um you know g- g- through various selections mm. it went to the the most best form because let's say for example for the polar bear to get to the stages at now then there should have been different fossils which show that you know there there would have been polar bears with which are smaller different sizes but we don't find that uh, we don't we don't find fossils which which prove that theory um so we don't believe in evolution to that extent that so many animals would have been killed until the ultimate selection was was uh, was there to put yeah. in place so yeah. uh, I, i think with that uh, let's let's move on the discussion we do have our next guest with us we are joined by professor john 
Miliband and uh, Professor John Miliband is a professor in theology, philosophy and ethics in the Department of Theology and Religious Studies at the University of Nottingham. Thank you so much for joining the discussion this morning. Thank you. It's it's Mil Milbank is my name. Mil- Milbank. I do apologize for that. Uh... <laughs> not not confused with those brothers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Professor Milbank. Um, I wanted to ask you what impact has religion and God had upon your upbringing? If you can please share that with our listeners. Well, I, I was brought up in um, a very Christian family, and they'd been Christian for many generations. So in my family, it was still very much uh, a natural part of our lives. Um, we not only went to church every Sunday, but we read the Bible. We, we said grace. Um, religion seemed to be interwoven with the seasons uh, and the a whole pattern of our lives, and uh, the presence of of God seemed to be almost kind of linked to nature, if you like to to put it that way. But um, we were already an unusual family in that respect. Thank you, thank you for that. And how has attitudes and significance towards religion in people's everyday life changed over the years, particularly in England? I, th- I think it's changed a very great deal. I mean, wh- when I was small, as I say, I was aware that a lot of people weren't so religious, but nonetheless, um, the public realm, the world of time and space, was still um, very imbued with religion, and, you know, specifically Christianity. So, for example, we still had a holiday at Whitson or, or Pentecost, never mind Easter. You know, the, the church's calendar was still observed, and and the BBC put on a lot more religious programs. Um, the presence of churches seemed to be very dominant in the landscape. Um, a lot of social events still revolved around them. Then I think the first change started to come uh, probably in 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 the 1960s. Um, we know, for example, that a lot of women stopped going to church at that point. And women had been very much, I, I think, the support of, of churches. But since that time, things have changed much more drastically. And I think that um, Mrs. Thatcher allowing shops to open on Sunday was a huge point of transition. That Sunday had always been a quiet, contemplative day so that Somehow, even for people who weren't religious, you had to stop and think, you know. Even God rests on the seventh day. Everybody rested and uh, thought about perhaps what ultimately matters to them. Um, uh, And and since that time, I I think one felt an increasing pace of secularization so that today, you know, very few children... um, know about you know fundamental bible stories and things that are really very very fundamental in you know the legacy of of western culture uh, and it, it becomes harder and harder i think for people to make any sense of the past you know the past just gets presented as a kind of horror story um, and we no longer attend to 
all the positive resources that we're taking from the past because I think these were so bound up with religion. Absolutely. No, I, th- I think very beautifully put. And from what we see is that people are moving more and more towards secularism, towards materialism. How, how do you think that this rise in atheism, how do you think it has affected society now? I, I think, it, in a way, it's made everything much blander and, and much more boring, actually. It, you know, um, the, the rituals that bind us together aren't any longer there. In a way, it, it's made our lives less festive. Um, everything festive and celebratory becomes more private and more exclusive to different groups. We don't have these festivities that are binding us together in the same way and i think people have a sense of hovering meaninglessness you know that if you really are atheist or at least practically atheist um you are all the time having to bury the question well what it what is it all about you know why are we here on earth at all and the tendency is to substitute far more trivial and, and temporary things that, as you say, we we pursue pleasure uh, and very immediate kinds of satisfaction. We don't pursue the kinds of satisfaction that are richer in meaning that may maybe take harder work, even a certain amount of asceticism, but things that tend to join up and, and, and eventually point to an integration of the whole of our lives. Instead, I think our lives start to disintegrate uh, and we become more and more the slaves um, of a very immediate kinds of satisfaction that are material in character and don't really have any profound meaning. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Professor Milbank. Um, my, my question is, what is your view of agnosticism or people who say they do not feel they need um, religion to create your own moral framework? Well, I, I'm deeply sympathetic to agnosticism because mm-hmm. I think atheism is a form of unwarranted dogmatism, you know, <laughs> to definitely say yeah. um, there is no meaning to anything. I, I don't see the ground for, for saying that. It, it's a it's a kind of negative space, if you like. But agnosticism is completely understandable. And mm. I think a lot of agnostics are not necessarily outright non-believers. They're more people perhaps searching um, and often have informations of a certain kind of meaning. But I don't think I really understand the idea that we can make up our own um, ethical values because... Mm. The whole point of the ethical is that it is objective, that it's not just something that we make up. It has the character of something like a law. And e- even if we freely obey it, even if it um, in some sense seems to derive from ourselves, it, it, it still um, compels us. And uh, I, I, I also think we, we naturally tend to the wisdom that has um, come down to us um, um, from the ages. And it, it's impossible to to think of 
the, the goods that we're pursuing as something objective, um, unless we think in some sense it's built into the structure of reality, even mm-hmm. into the structure of the cosmos, yeah. and has some kind of I- eternal foundation. And because everything we know about expressions of the good is is personal, it's very natural to think that this ultimate um, ground, which is goodness, is itself something personal. In other words, that it, it's divine, that that that, it, that it's God. And and I think that as soon as people reject God, if if they're honest, like Nietzsche. They need to also reject um, an inherited kind of morality. But I doubt if most people are ready to pay that price. Yeah. Thank you so much for shedding light upon this. Um, So so my next question would be, uh, some people argue that religion is the cause of so much conflict in the world. Uh, Would you say that is better if we did not have religion at all? Well, no, I think I think a useful analogy here is the family. You know, a lot of people say, well, a lot of violence occurs within the family and, and the family produces an awful lot of trauma. And I think the reason for that is that the family is so fundamental and the family is the source of most of the good that we have, of love and nurture. But the point then is that when what is so fundamentally good goes wrong it it naturally produces um the most terrible things in other Mm. words you know it's an ancient saying that the corruption of the best is Mm. is the worst yeah and i think that applies to religion as well Mm -hmm. just because it's so absolutely fundamental for us you know there have never been human beings without religion in a sense it's religion makes human beings as much as uh, human beings make religion, yeah. but just because it is the source of our fundamental values and identities, unfortunately, people, first of all, tend to fight over what matters, but I think that fighting and turning violent over religion is a mistake, and it's a mistake that, if you like, from idolatry, from, from imagining that it's um, you yourself or, or your tradition has got absolutely the whole of the truth mm-hmm. uh, and and it's forgetting that god is a mystery and to some degree we can only approach him negatively uh, we we can't um grasp god or ultimate mysteries and different traditions mm-hmm. know about aspects of that and i think it's when we forget that where we don't realize what we can learn from our neighbor Mm-hmm. or from other traditions, um, that we can instead resort to arms, uh, and, and the results are very terribly deep. Yeah. Well, th- thank you so much for, um, obviously, giving your time uh, to, to us this morning, uh, Professor Milbank. Um, we really enjoyed having you here today, and you shed a uh, light no, upon... Real no, honestly, you, you, you. No, I, we really appreciate it, so peace be upon you, and uh, we, we hope you have a, a great you. weekend as well. Thank you, and you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. 0208687788. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. So we do have a uh, another another guest. Um, uh, we, we have a recording um, that we want to share with our listeners. But I think I just wanted to add um, 
on this particular topic as well um, as i was mentioning imam jalis that when we look at the prophets you know they pave essentially that path for us mm. um and and they and they show us you know that if you want to find god then this is the way to do it and through their through their acceptance of prayers as well mm. we we witness the existence of god and one mm. such example that we find in the life of the promised messiah peace be upon him is uh, there are countless examples of his acceptance of prayers countless um, mm. but just one such example is uh, when a young um, adult named uh, abdul karim he mm. came to qadian mm. from hyderabad uh, to study as a student mm. and he was bitten by a mad dog mm-hmm. and uh, because of that he had gotten rabies and all possible forms of treatment were used to cure him but to no avail uh, and so much so that he was sent to a famous hospital in uh, kasuli and upon his his return when the sign, when the sign of his illness it began to grow even further a doctor was informed by a telegraph and advice was sought and the response by the doctor was that nothing can be done for abdul karim and upon this when uh, the promised messiah peace be upon him heard of this he said that very empathetically he said his response to this was that they do not have a cure however god almighty has a cure and after that the promised messiah peace be upon him hence he sincerely he play he prayed for the young boy and mm. look at the power of god almighty that that young adult about whom the doctors of the world had declared to be incurable he became healthy and he later on lived a very long and healthy life and and to to this day there is still no cure for rabies yeah. and uh, it shows how beautifully allah the almighty he accepts the prayers of his of his chosen people yeah. that uh, those who call towards him he then answers those that yeah. w- just as it mentions in the holy quran that uduni astajib lakum and yeah. uh, with that uh, we we will play this uh, small clip and this is from um uh, Uh, Mr. Sharain Nurse and he is a new convert to the MD Muslim community and he explains how he found God and how it was through Islam Ahmadiyat so let's listen in I'm pleased to note that uh, we have Sharain Nurse on the line Sharain is a new member of the MD Muslim community he has experience uh, of working with the youth uh, Sharain thanks very much for joining us uh, uh on the uh, breakfast show um tell me uh, about your story to ahmediyat what uh, how did you arrive or how did you come to accept uh, um, ahmediyat islam assalamualaikum um my story basically i was a um, christian before and um in i mean the christian faith and um within the church There's a lot of persecution, a lot of injustice, and um, I've always, me as a young person, I always wanted to serve God and do the right stuff and help the community and stuff like that. But I felt very restricted in the church. I felt like everything was a competition, and um, after a while, I just lost interest in, in in the church. I didn't feel I could be myself because like everyone was doing everything to please the pastor in the church, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to serve God. So um 
I remember I had a lot of friends around me who are Muslims at that time, and um, I was always hanging around them, learning from them about stuff, about Islam and stuff like that. And I think one day I had a training and I overheard someone said they had an Amidi. And I thought, okay, I've never heard of them. So I actually went to do some research um, on YouTube, and that's where um, I came across the Bayat Sermon with Missouri back in 2019. And I think from just watching that um, that sermon and seeing everyone connected to Azura, like something said to me in my mind that you need to be there. This is where you need to be. So I just kept on um, watching um, Azura's Friday sermons on um, YouTube. Even though I didn't understand everything at that time, I was still new. I was still trying to figure out. But I just mm-hmm. kept watching. I kept watching. And um, obviously as time went by, I just kept on. I kept praying to God. I said, God, like, I'm really interested in this. It's like there's nothing saying that there's nothing bad about these people. And I can see that they're connected to God. They're in tune to God. So I just kept watching. I kept learning. And um, I think over the time, I literally said to myself back in 2021, I can't end this year without getting involved and getting connected with the Jamaat. So um, I said to myself, I need to get connected to the Jamaat. And um, I remember I was walking in Guildford with one of my young people that I was working with at that time. And um, one of the members dropped a leaflet in my hands. And I literally looked at the leaflet and I literally said, Alhamdulillah, and I chased him. And um, I said to him, excuse me, I want to I wanna know more about this. Like, please, now I want to know more about this. So I was so, like, I was hungry. I was desperate for this because it's like my life was stuck at that time. So I literally followed him and he took me over to the other brothers who had at the stool. And that's when I met um, Nasty Orchard Sub, who literally um, started speaking to me. And then so coincidentally, like, he also said he was from Guyana, South America, which is where I'm born. And I was like, that's a coincidence. So we just got talking. Um, he asked me a few questions. He gave me a few books to read. Took my number. We exchanged numbers. And obviously from there, he just literally said, you know, I'm going to help you along your journey. I'm going to be in contact with you. And then from there, like we just made progress. I um, started having my meetings with Imam Badra. And I just started learning. So you started having meetings with uh, Imam Badra. And then what happened after that? Yeah, so from there, he literally just, he just, he just, just told me about the Jamaat, um, explained things in more details, what we do. Um, and I think one of the things that he, he told me that caught my attention is about how the, um, the Jamia boys, they go through a seven years um, studying about faith, not just Islam, but they learn about other religions and stuff. Mm-hmm. So obviously when they meet other people of different faith, they can relate to them. It's not they're not just taught just about Islam. And that was really like an eye-opener to me because I remember having the youth passes when I used to go to church. All they used to be taught is about Christianity. But when he told me that um, the boys are taught about um, other religions and, and faiths and so on, to obviously to be able to support and, and, and help people who are lost, who, who are searching for God. And obviously it just helped me along like with my prayers, um, told me how to get involved with certain stuff, and how how to get, how to be an active member. Um, he helped me with my, with my regular classes I was having with him every week, which which actually helped a lot. And obviously, just 
taking time. Obviously, I know he has a busy schedule as well, as well as plus leading the, um, the mosque. He made that time for me every week just to have that an hour with me to help me along my journeys, which was very beneficial. Mm. How how did your relationship with God develop during this time, and how how has it developed since uh, accepting Islam, Ahmadiyya? Um, my relationship, I would say, has developed um, very good because, as I said before, I, I, I kind of lost connection with God. I felt far away from God. But since being an Ahmadiyya and, and, and started learning, like I'm much more closer to God. That the fact that I can pray more regularly, I can pray five times a day even more, that actually, that actually brought me closer to God. Um, just having good examples around me in the Jamaat members, um, the Imams and other brothers who does stuff to, to serve the community, serve God, having his um watching his, his sermons, watching his teachings, um, having regular classes with Imam Bajra, as I said. Just saw, and obviously I saw the fear, the reverence that we have towards the thing of God, which I love. Um, I always I saw that we're not doing things to please man, we're doing things to please God, which is one of the big things for me because, as I said, coming from my Christian background, most of the things that people are doing was to please the pastor. They're forgetting that he's just a person mm. used by God. So me um, being here now is, my relationship is so much more better with God. Um, I'm able to open, be open, open with God. I'm able to speak openly and not feel like I'm restricted. Um, and it's, it's 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 so much. I've got so much more joy and peace inside my heart than how it was before. Mm-hmm. Right. And and since converting, have you have you experienced any changes to your daily life? Has there been impact? On uh, on your life, yeah, I would say, as I said, for 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 me, there's been a lot of changes. As I said, it's it's brought me inner peace. It's brought me joy within my heart. Um, it, this is something I've always been searching for 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 many years, but I couldn't find it. But now, it's like officially, I, I feel so happy. Like I feel so blessed being able to um, offer prayers. Um, um, always making sure I prioritize my prayer. Um, this has been a big change in my life because I, d- I don't feel restricted no more. Even when I'm at work, um, my colleagues know that I need to pray, so I always say to them, I'm just going to pray, and, and there's no problems, no issues there. I can always go and have my quiet time to pray. And it, it helps me, it helps my life, it helps my mental health. Um, it just keeps me, it makes me a more, much more calmer person. Uh, I've noticed my life's much more... Um, Yes, there's always issues, but it's much more smooth sailing because I know God's guiding me. Mm. You mentioned praying. Praying is a way to connect with God. Has that helped you connect, make that connection or um, make that connection with God even firmer? Yes, I would say, because as I said, the fact that I can offer my five daily prayers, it, it's literally, that's that's so important to me now. Like, um, And obviously, I never understood why, but now I understood, like, how important prayer is and the fact that I can do that five times or even more, it builds it me a much more better relationship with God. Um, as I said, I've been always searching for a better relationship with God for many years, but now, because I'm able to pray more, it's got me much more closer to God. Um, 
I have a much more better better relationship. I'm much more um, open to God. I can express myself. I don't feel I'm afraid. And obviously, it, it gives me um, hope and something to look forward to. Um, it helps me with with anything, any challenges, anything with I face. Um, I always make sure I present it to God first. And obviously, that helps a lot because sometimes we, we feel we can do these things on us by ourselves, but not knowing that God's there and God's the bigger thing mm. if, it, if you think about it yeah yeah no thanks very much uh, Shireen. thanks very much for allowing us to uh, give uh, to have a glimpse into into this uh, insight of your life uh, thank you for sharing uh, this with us and i wish you all the best in the future peace and blessings um of allah be upon you all all the listeners um i i, I would like to um, say thank you, Dazakallah. Um, uh, thank you so much to uh, Shireen, uh, respected Shireen nurse. Um, he, uh, he he spent some time talking about um, his um, acceptance of um, Ahmadiyat and Islam, um, and uh, just 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 listening to the changes that he's made in his life. It's it's really awe inspiring, you know, right? Faith inspiring, you know. So um, so uh, thank you so much to Shireen. Um, just touching upon uh, this the, the, this point, the fact that um, someone who did not know about Islam and he, he studied a little bit more, or a lot more, and he tried and he he persevered in in in, in the search of God, we can see that um, in 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 our lifetime or, or or what we see in general is that atheists what 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 they see what what they desire is I think we touched upon in the beginning is they they desire some empirical proof, okay, some physis some physical proof. Um, I think we touched upon it as well. There's certain things you can't really see. You know, there, there, there are certain senses that go with certain attributes. So, for example, you can you can you can see light, but you can't see um, gravity. For example, gravity is such a massive force in in the world, but you can't see it. You can't. You, but 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 we know it's there. We can measure it, but we can't measure it in the same way we measure other things. It's the same way that we can't taste the speed of sound. It's not the correct sense we have we have these five senses and this isn't the correct sense that goes with um for example the speed of sound so um this is something that we can't really comprehend with just with, with, with just these with just these senses um in the holy quran it says that eyes cannot reach him but he manifests himself before the eyes he is the imperceptible so the awe inspiring um so all, uh, sorry, uh, the, the all aware. So over here we see that God Almighty himself says that eyes cannot reach him, but he manifests before the eyes. He, manis he manifests himself before the eyes, which shows that we, we have to kind of, we have, we have to use other attributes and other senses to reach him. And it's, it's, it's not something that we can just do just by, um, by physically just saying, okay, yes, I, I want to see this physical being. It's something that we need to persevere for. And this 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 brings me on to an incident of um, a respected Bashir uh, Orchard, the uh, an Imam of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and uh, I, I don't know if you're aware about this um, Imam Takir, um, but um, but uh, j j just before um, a Imam Bashir Orchard accepted Ahmadiyat, um, accepted Islam Ahmadiyat, um, he he was in Qadian, and uh, he was. Uh, he was he 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 was uh, he he met uh, a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, 
and the the, the missionary said that um, the, he he mentioned to a respected Bashir, uh, Bashir or uh, Orchard uh, Imam Bashir, that God speaks, and uh, Imam Bashir was was bewildered. If, if God speaks, he would speak to me, and. Uh, the, the missionary said that you should try and speak to God. You, sh- you should try, you know, uh, prostrate yourself in front of God Almighty and see what happens. So uh, Imam Bashir did this and he prayed uh, a lot. He spent all night in prostration in front of God Almighty. And in the morning, he went to the missionary and said that God doesn't speak. And the missionary said that, do it again. So, and he did it the next day. And Imam Bashir said that God doesn't speak. And he did this for, I think, the next few days. And eventually, Imam Bashir went to the missionary himself and he said that God does indeed speak. And this is, this is, this, and this is exactly what the Prophet's Messiah, uh, may peace be upon him, upon whom be peace, has, state, has stated the conditions on finding God. And he stated two conditions of finding God. And he, and he, and he stated the first is sheer desire. So the sheer desire to search for God. We can't just sit down and just say that there's there's no God because if if if, if there was God he'd be right in front of us. And the second would be patience and commitment. And this is and and these two attributes, these two conditions, we see that Imam Bashir Orchard, um, who for the for for the benefit of our listeners, he was the first um, white uh, missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, and he was posted um, to Scotland, and. Uh, uh, where he resided, um, he was also the editor of Review Religions as well, and uh, th- th- so these conditions were met by someone who did not believe in Allah and in, in, in God Almighty at, at that point, and he and he persevered and he he tried and he b- b- with his sheer desire he found God Almighty. Absolutely, no. Thank you so much for that, Imam Jalis. Very powerful uh, incident you've mentioned, and I think with that. Uh, let's move on to our second segment uh, we are looking at the faith of civilians in Gaza and our thoughts and prayers go out to those uh, victims and uh, you know may Allah the Almighty ease their pain um, so this particular seg- gist of the story is regarding uh, Maghazi which is a refugee camp in the Gaza Strip and looking at a particular story of a mother of uh, six uh, Stokes the Woods uh, wood fire uh, and she has built up to bake bread for her family and her thoughts take her back to her usual morning routine at home in the Tal al-Hawa neighborhood in western Gaza before the restless Israeli bombardment began on the enclave on October the 7th and she and her family they were forced to flee to the Maghazi camp in the center of the Gaza Strip after Israel forces ordered civilians to evacuate northern Gaza and move south in the early days of the war. So she and her family uh, could see that there were a, was a grave danger that the Israeli bombing could wipe out entire areas in north and west Gaza and she is thankful that they she she is thankful that they did and soon after they left their house was badly damaged in a bombing on their neighborhood she said that my house was severely damaged due to a violent israeli bombing next to it and she further said that our neighbor salim who works for the palestinian red crescent society sent me videos 
showing the extent of the de- destruction that the that befell my befell my house. She said that I feel very sad and do not know whether it is fit for the habitation after today or not. Uh, to cope with the the worry, uh, she takes comfort in the memories of her safe normal routine before the war began, and she would wake up at dawn for for the morning prayers. And then she would wake her young children, Hamoud, who is 13, Noor, who is 16, to get ready for school. And she said that I always enjoyed making their breakfast and lunch boxes, and I would make sure that I put their favorite foods in, in, in there. And she remembers that uh, the morning works would be far from over yet. And she said that then it is time for my husband and older sons to go to work, and I make their coffee, but my daughter... Asil likes fresh juice, so I take that too while we talk about my plans for the day. And once we are all fed up, ready when we are all fed and ready to go, uh, finally out of the door, it would be uh, it it will be her me time. And she said that I go to the gym and spend about two hours exercising with my friends, and after that she would go home and drink something hot with her neighbor Sarah. She said that she pre- prepares lunch, spends a bit of time reading books on on the sciences of the Holy Quran, and logs for her re- logs for her religious lessons through an ac- through an academy that she joins via Zoom. And finally, it would be time for the familiar family chaos to begin again. And after my children return from their schools and work, I spend quality time with them, listening to their stories, following on school schoolwork with my son Hamoud and preparing him to go to the boxing club which he enjoys spending time in. So this is a little detail into her lifestyle which was before the war. Um, but sadly because of that the whole uh, you know that whole routine is completely mm-hmm. gone. Uh, children you know who had the right to education and yeah. uh, had the right to looking after their physical health as well that's completely uh completely gone because of what's going on there and honestly our, our thoughts and prayers go out to uh the victims over there and his holiness continuously every friday sermon he has been telling the members of the community as well to pray for the members uh and not only that but within our own circles wherever we can try to advocate for for peace as well yeah. um as uh, as you know even uh, we've discussed this a lot of the times as well when it comes to Islam as well. Even, you know, in terms of war, uh, mm. Islam had laid rules at that time 1,400 mm. years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, very clearly said that not to hurt any children or women uh, in cases of war, uh, not to bring down trees. Um, but, you know, what we see what's going on now is that innocent lives are being mm-hmm. being uh, hurt by this. Uh, so truly, you know, our our thoughts and prayers yeah. are for those victims. Uh, we do we de- we did uh, mention to take an interview as well uh, from Abu Talib, who is a pharmacist. He's a Palestinian living in Canada, and uh, we asked him a few questions on this uh, particular issue. So let's listen to what he has to say. So we're joined on the line today with May Abu Talib. She is a pharmacist from Canada and she's joined us today to discuss um, this very important topic about Gaza. Um, 
<clears throat> Welcome to the Voice of Islam Radio Breakfast Show. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you for having me. Um, you're welcome. Um, for the benefit of our listeners, could you kindly introduce yourself and what Palestine means to you? Absolutely. Uh, my name is May Abu Talib, and I'm a third generation Palestinian refugee. I was born and raised in Amman, Jordan in 1990 and migrated with my family to Canada in the year 2000. My Palestinian identity is not one tied physically to the land. Rather, it is an inherited legacy of displacement, land dispossession, and a lifelong struggle for basic human rights, liberties, and a life of dignity. My father's side of the family was internally displaced from Lid, more so known as Lod, to Gaza, circa 1948 Arab-Israel War, where my father was born. My mother's family was displaced from Ramla, also known as Ramla now, to Ariha, known as Jericho. As a result of the 1967 war, both families were uprooted for a second time from their beloved Palestine, finding themselves refugees once again, but this time in Jordan, with the dream of returning to their home villages diminishing by the day. When I was a little girl, my grandfather Hassan would spend hours telling my brothers and I stories about how the Yehud, which is the Arabic word for Jews, stole our land and our horses, and how they shot his brother Muhammad Ali in the back while he was kneeling in prayer at a mosque in Palestine. I never truly grasped the magnitude of the catastrophe inflicted on my people until I grew up and I started to see the same aggression and cruelty is still being inflicted on them by the same racist Zionist regime with increasing and incomprehensible brutality to this day. Thank you for sharing that. Um, we have all seen the horrific events unfold for the past two months. What are your feelings to the events unfolding? The events that took place on October 7th did not occur in a vacuum. Prior to this date, 2023 had already been the deadliest year for Palestinians. From January 1st to October 6th, at least 208 people, including 42 children, were killed in the West Bank alone by the Israeli army and settler terrorists. Since October 7th, we watched in real time and true horror as the Israeli regime carried out the ethnic cleansing and genocide of the Palestinian people at a massive scale. I vividly remember Hannah waking up to pictures of a bulldozer driving through the Gaza-Israel separation wall that morning. And for a fleeting moment, I experienced the euphoric joy and glory that every freedom fighter dreams of, the moment that people were able to break free from their oppressor's iron walls. Sadly, the atrocities that ensued have turned this glimmer of hope into a never-ending nightmare for the people of Gaza, Palestinians in the diaspora like myself, and millions of people around the world, as you know. It is a nightmare indeed, and it's truly been an eye-opener for me as well. Yeah. Um, Hollywood often glamorizes certain superheroes, but these past two months we have seen the truest heroes on earth. Can you tell us about the resilience and strength of the Gaza people? So as we've seen, the people of Gaza have endured a 17-year-long siege and blockade by Israel, with ongoing violence intended to demoralize, humiliate, subdue, and flat out erase them. Yet, in the face of this unimaginable brutality, Palestinians have taught us all a lesson in strength and resilience. Their faith and unrelenting fighting spirit has rendered them indestructible in the face of such calamities. We've seen footage of journalists like Wa'el al-Dahdouh, I'm sure you've heard of this name by, by now, um, standing heroically just one day after being shot by the IDF, having lost his entire family in an Israeli airstrike only weeks before. And we cannot comprehend his strength. Al-Dahdouh 
and numerous other Palestinian journalists just like him are not only doing their job, they are true heroes risking their everything to expose the massacres and the ongoing genocide being carried out against their people. Yes, I'm truly in awe at how strong such people are in this situation, um, which hardly anybody could handle in their wildest dreams. Um, recently, there has been an open statement made to the University of Toronto Faculty of Medicine from the Jewish Faculty of Medicine outlining their concerns over anti-Semitism, yet a sheer lack of concern for the rights of the vulnerable people in need of the very sector that they work in. How worrying is this as to you as a healthcare professional that others in the same field have such an attitude? I find this quite alarming. Uh, to be honest, when I first encountered this letter, I was taken aback by the strong wording of it. Zionism is a self-identified colonial project. It's backed by the US imperial machine. Many people who believe in Zionism as a necessity for Jewish survival and protection were indoctrinated to do so at a very young age. Therefore, any attempt to appeal to their moral senses to make the case against killing Palestinians is futile. Zionist founding leaders claim that they have a connection to the Holy Land, and this is true. This is incontrovertible truth. However, Zionism cannot thrive without the apartheid system imposed on the Palestinians and the sheer violation of their basic freedoms and dignities. This renders it a racist colonial project backed by theft of indigenous land and land dispossession. As a Palestinian Canadian, I denounce and reject anti-Semitism in all of its forms and consider it racism and hate-motivated discrimination. The 555 Jewish physicians who penned the letter to the Temerity Faculty of Medicine at the University of Toronto have every right to feel safe and protected. However, conflating Israel's national policies with Jewishness and equating any criticism of Israeli policy as anti-Semitic is misaligned and predictably breeds contempt. Both in word and deed, Israel has called for and executed the erasure of the Palestinian people. And it is imperative that this apartheid system cease to exist and Israel be held accountable for its violation against Palestinians. As a healthcare provider and as healthcare providers, especially pediatricians and OBGYNs, to stand with Zionism is equivalent to standing with the murder of children and having their limbs cut off without anesthesia. You are standing with the bombing of innocent men, the elderly, and pregnant women. You are standing with the destruction of the entire healthcare system of Gaza. As a doctor, your first duty is do no harm. And I believe that no nationalist or religious ideal should triumph over this vow. Indeed, thank you so much. And finally, for anyone listening who wants to support the cause, what can people do to help? Absolutely. Thank you for asking this question. Um, it is very imperative that people understand how and at what capacity they can contribute. Palestine is not only dear to my heart as a Palestinian in the diaspora, but also because it's a humanitarian crisis of a catastrophic scale. I urge everyone in the Western world and all around the globe to channel their anger and frustration against this fascist regime into amplifying the voices of Palestinians and mobilizing to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian cause. Use your democratic voice to write to MPs, organize or participate in demonstrations for Palestine 
and do not stop learning about the deep-rooted struggle we have endured for the past 75 years. Thank you so much for your time. It's been very an eye-opener to listen to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hannah. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So we just listened to uh, May Abu Talib, uh, who is a Palestinian from uh, Canada, and she just uh, shared her views on this uh, particular subject. Um, I think with that, I'll conclude this with His Holiness, uh, what he mentioned in uh, one of his Friday sermons regarding the issue which is happening, um, and explaining and warning regarding the risk of a of a global war. He, His Holiness Azam Azam head of the MD Muslim community, he stated that the rate at which the state of war is escalating and how the Israeli government and other major global powers are adopting certain policies. It's apparent that a world war is starting, is staring us in the face. And now even some leaders of Muslim countries have begun to openly state, as have Russia and China, so too Western analysts have begun to write and proclaim that the scope of this war seems to be expanding. And if wise policies are not immediately adopted, the world will face devastation. And all of this is being reported in the media and the the harrowing state of affairs is in front of all. Furthermore, His Holiness said that for as long as world leaders do not courageously strive for a ceasefire, they are invariably responsible for taking the world towards dis- destruction. And His Holiness, he questioned and condemned the scale of Israel's response to the 7th October attack by Hamas and Israeli bombardment in recent weeks has uh, decimated homes, hospitals, civilians, infrastructure. His Holiness said that Israeli government officials say that Hamas killed our innocents. Hence, we will seek revenge. This revenge has now exceeded all limits and the loss of Palestinian lives, as reported, is four to five times greater than the loss of Israeli lives. And if their aim is to eliminate Hamas, as they so claim, then they should directly combat them. Why are they killing women, children and elderly? They are also uh, deprived people of water, sustenance and medical care. And this is where all claims of human rights and rules of warfare cease to exist when it comes to these governments. And in the end, His Holiness, he prayed that uh, he said that we should lay great focus on our prayers and we should pray for the end of this oppression and strive to the end it it is in, in our remits and we should pray both for the oppressed muslims and for the establishment of a comprehensive and long-term strategy by muslim governments and there should be a profound pain in our hearts for muslims to be elevated of hardships and we believe in the promised messiah peace be upon him who despite their opposition to us expressed in a Persian couplet that O oh my heart be considerate towards them for they claim to love for my prophet peace and blessing be upon him therefore our love for the holy prophet of Islam demands that we pray intensively for Muslims may Allah grant us the ability to do so and also to Muslims and may we bestow wisdom upon the world Amen. Amen. 
and I think with with that this we can conclude this uh, particular segment. And I think uh, we just wanted to thank our production as well for a great production this morning. Uh, we wanted to thank uh, Danya Nasir, the producer, uh, also the the team of researchers, uh, Seda Hena Saud, um, Nargis Nasir, who is the lead producer, and also Malia Abdullah. Uh, so great production, and also. Uh, to Brother Shafiq and the the tech team for his great work, and also to all of the guests who came on the show. Uh, so Professor James Orr, Doctor Jack Symes, Professor John Milbank, and also May Abdul Talib uh, for for joining joining us this morning. So thank you to all of our uh, all of our guests who came on, and lastly to the listeners uh, do give us your feedback what you think of the show um, and uh, remember you can call us on 0208-687-7878 or you can tweet to us at Voice of Islam UK so until next time it's Assalamu Alaikum from both me and Jalees here in the studio of Voice of Islam